welcome to a brand new EPL show. We've had the EPL show in the past. We've had the English football show in the past. But we're back and better than ever for an English Premier League specific show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Nick Hughes. Together with Josh Parrish, we're coming back out of the international break. We're getting back into the Premier League action. We're heading into that fantastic winter period where the games just come thick and fast and I cannot wait for how it's going to shape up heading into the new year because the title race is already very interesting. The top four race is already very interesting. We've had plenty of managerial movements over this international break as well, so lots to unpack ahead of the Premier League's return. But first of all, Josh, uh, we've just had uh, a fantastic hour on the green room. How are you going? How are you? Uh, how are you feeling for this uh, little run of, of Premier League fixtures that we have? Well, it's always a little sad when you go into the international break and you know some of the storylines, you know, won't continue to develop as they have. But what has happened in this international break? And let's not beat around the bush. The man here is wearing Liverpool jersey. You got to be excited to see Stevie G back in the Premier League, even if it is with Aston Villa. Absolutely, I. Um... For, for for two reasons, I think one him leaving Rangers. I think I uh, I now don't have to um, you know choose who I who I like to get behind in terms of uh, Steven Gerrard and Ange Postecoglou <laughs> in the in the Scottish Premier League. Um, but you know him him coming to Aston Villa uh, as as much as I really don't want to think about the the day uh, when when it does inevitably come that Jurgen Klopp leaves. Uh, Anfield, I think Steven Gerrard coming into the Premier League just gives that hint that he, he is one step closer to uh, potentially taking uh, taking the top job at Liverpool, which is uh, is something certainly uh, very exciting. Uh, I think it's 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 been coming. You know, he's he's been linked with previous jobs, the Newcastle one in particular. Uh, recently, obviously Eddie Howe has taken that one. One of uh, a few new managerial. Uh, Posts, uh, yes. appointments, yes, that will uh, that will begin heading out of this international break. But to start, uh, I think we we will discuss the in, the international break uh, itself. Uh, plenty going on uh, in the World Cup qualifiers, and where uh, Portugal and Italy have had their struggles, uh, England certainly haven't in the last uh, week or so. Fifteen goals scored uh, against Albania and San Marino. Five nil against Albania. Ten nil. Uh, against England and a few breakout performers. Maybe uh, a bit later on, we'll, we'll touch more on our thoughts uh, on the Premier League season so far. But a couple of guys, Emil Smith Rowe, Connor Gallagher, getting their first look ins uh, for the national team, which is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Connor Gallagher has come out of nowhere. Crystal Palace has been a bit of a revelation um, this season. You know, I think when we did our preview show, you were very low on yes. Patrick Vieira and Crystal we, Palace. Not, you swung swung for the fences on a, on a relegation, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, but they've defied <laughs> the doubters and uh, are playing very, very good football. Uh, I've been really impressed with his sort of tactical acumen and the way he's adapted in specific games. Uh, I really liked how they, they set up against Manchester City by being a little bit more uh, aggressive in terms of their defensive structure and actually fronting the uh, the midfield uh, and preventing the balls from being played into uh, 
the likes of Gundogan and Bernardo Silva when they take up those pockets and not just sticking everyone behind behind the ball and hoping for the best. And, uh, you know, I think the managers had a big part to play in that, but also Conor Gallo, who's on loan from Chelsea, I believe. Yes, yeah, uh, correct. He's so energetic. He's covering so much ground, but also he's demonstrated quite a, a coolness and, and uh, I guess... Uh, a certain poise in the final third and in front of goal for a player with very little top flight experience mm. uh, is really striking to see in his first few outings. So uh, a bolter to be sure for the England squad, but a, a welcome one. And I think uh, Republic of Ireland fans will just be uh, searching Ancestry.com now because Gallagher <laughs> sounds suspiciously eligible <laughs> if I say so myself. Yeah, we um, well, we, we know there's plenty of history uh between England and, and Ireland in terms of uh, international yep. representation. Uh, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice, uh, just to It'd name be nice to get one couple. back. It know. would. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nice to get that one back, but yeah. he's only played – he's played in a uh, in a uh, qualifier now, has he? So he's, yeah, so he's, be... he's cap-tied, and I, I think it's another one uh, uh, that uh, – the island fans will be ruining in the in the years yeah, to come. I should uh, say, uh, unfortunately for them. But uh, I think the the Irish themselves, I think, have uh, had a, a decent little uh, qualification campaign. But it's a it's an interesting one with uh, Gallagher because he he had his Premier. It's seemingly had excuse me had his Premier League chance uh, last year with uh, with West Bromwich Albion, and he really didn't take it. Mm. Uh, he. Had a couple of fantastic loan spells uh, within the same season. The the first half of uh, of the nineteen twenty season uh, at Charlton, who up until the point that he left, really uh, under Lee Bowyer a, a, a couple of years ago, it was were were really flying after just being promoted from League One. He was a, a, a terrific uh, part of that. Um, First six months of the season, he then moved on to another loan spell for Swansea. Swansea went on uh, to reach the uh, the championship playoff final. Ream Brewster was also on loan there and, and scoring plenty of goals. But like I said, he, he then took that step into the Premier League with West Brom. It didn't work out for him. It didn't work out mm-hmm. for West Brom. And then he comes into Crystal Palace and maybe it's a, a change of system, uh, a different role that, that he's being used in. But he seems to, to really have found his feet uh, and it, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward because Chelsea have that sort of interesting history with uh, academy products. You know, for every Mason Mount that is um, heavily depended upon by by the last couple of man- um, last couple of managers and and been very good. You know, you have a, a Tammy Abraham story that looks like he had the potential, but is is ultimately uh, sold on and. I think even in the summer just gone, you know, Tino Livramento and, and a couple of, of, of those lesser-known guys, you know, have sort of moved on before they were given their opportunity. So it'll be interesting if, if Gallagher can uh, can sort of wrestle his way uh, into uh, into the, the Chelsea team uh, more permanently. Emil Smith-Rowe as well, uh, I think... Is a, is a big one to talk about. Pakua Frimpong behind the glass is uh, waving her hands in the air. Uh, scored his first England goal uh, on his debut appearance. He, he of course, uh, and just like Gallagher, neither of them were actually picked in the initial squad by Gareth Southgate. They only came in because there were a, a slew of players mm. um, uh, ended up back at their clubs halfway through the international break with little niggling injuries. I think Jordan Henderson, Marcus Rashford were... 
uh, a couple of them. Uh, but Smith Rowe has has been really ever since he came into the Arsenal team, sort of halfway through last season, has been a, a real breath of fresh air. Uh, Arsenal were crying out for that creative number 10 player. A lot of people were looking at Mesut Ozil's uh, lack of registration in any uh, any sort of competition and thinking, you know what, what what's going on there? But in Emil Smith-Rowe, they've, they've found a real gem. Yeah, I have 100% agree. Uh, I think maybe his uh, prominence in the Arsenal first team was belated uh, and Arteta should have called on him, upon him earlier. Mm. He spent some time on loan at, at Huddersfield uh, in difficult circumstances. I think they were battling <laughs> relegation. And um, Emil Smith-Rowe has been highly rated by people at Arsenal for years and years, but we've heard a lot about these Arsenal youth prospects and a lot of them, you know, don't come off. I mean, we all remember Fran Morita and there's a lot of names (laughs) down the years uh, from the Arsenal Academy. It doesn't quite happen for. Uh, So really happy, really happy to see uh, Smith Rowe, not only in an Arsenal kit, but in an England Jersey. I think he's someone who could move the needle for England in terms of chance creation because they, they sort of uh, asked their way to the the Euro 2020 final, in my opinion, with a, a string of very narrow victories and, uh, pretty conservative style with a double pivot with Phillips and Declan Rice. And obviously Jack Grealish was the uh, player that people were quote-unquote clamoring for. <laughs> uh, and now the, the clamor has officially uh, started for Emil Smith-Rowe to start um, proper serious games for England. Unfortunately, you don't get serious games in qualifying for England because they always breeze through it. There's no high pressure uh, in, you know, uh, environments to, to get that, uh, experience in and then they go to a tournament and suddenly everybody clams up. So I don't know what it is about qualifying, but I, I think it's something to do with the mentality of the English national team that they can't seem to uh, bring their best football when the heat is on. Uh, but when there's some uh, lesser opponents to knock seven or eight goals past and, <laughs> you know, they're qualifying with games to spare, uh, suddenly the handbrake comes off and they play some of their best football. But what I want to ask you, Nick, is – Harry Maguire, mm. his goal celebration against Albania yeah. uh, drew a lot of mockery, a lot of criticism from the likes of Roy, Roy Keane. Keane. He thought yeah. it was uh, embarrassing. He's in the heat or is, he's been rubbish for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's in the studio. Um, but I, I had one problem with it, and that was that he both cupped his ears and then put his fingers in his ears, <laughs> which seemed to send a mixed message. Yeah. So <laughs> do, do, do you want people to, to keep going or do you, or are you blocking them out? Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, you know, f- fair play to him if, if he wants to sort of make a statement. It, it obviously has been tricky and, you know, from from his point of view, it, it can't be easy as as the captain of mm. of Manchester United, as the captain of any club really, but as the captain of Manchester United in particular, given some of the results that they've uh, they've had, some of the performances that he's put in. Look, I, I'm sure internally he'll he'll probably look himself in the mirror and and tell himself that he he hasn't been good enough and that the team hasn't been good enough. But yeah, scoring uh, in a five nil win against Albania and a ten. 10-0 win against San Marino. It's uh, it's not quite uh, statement-level uh, performances. I wouldn't have thought it was anything to crow about. No. I mean, and no one's saying that Harry Maguire isn't a threat off set pieces. You know, it's been his defensive play that has drawn the eye. Maybe maybe the time to silence the haters is not after a great last-ditch tackle or something. <laughs> I think Italy have uh, proven that particular conventional wisdom wrong. Yeah. I, I think the sort of goal-celebration-esque 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bonucci uh, and Chiellini yeah. getting the, the a, chest bumping yeah, is is real <laughs> real dub for the for the defenders of the world, and uh, mm. more should take after them. Uh, but you know, Harry Maguire is always uh, you know in the media spotlight because he's the captain and he has to come out for these interviews. And of course, Roy Keane felt he wasn't uh, giving his apology with requisite gusto. But when you have to apologise every week and say it's not the result we wanted, it starts to become a bit of a chore. And I, I'm not convinced that it is the player's um, place to apologise. Mm. Maybe after something like the 5-0 against Liverpool, but not every week. I mean, coming out to front up in front of the cameras, it's become this uh, ritual of self-flagellation at Manchester United. I think he's... Uh, I don't think it's helpful. No, and there's there, there's been plenty of talk about the uh, the sort of social media graphics that they've put up uh, 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 on a number of occasions. I think the mm. uh, the Jesse Lingard uh, errant back pass that played in Young Boys' winner in the Champions League was one. Uh, the the Bruno Fernandez missed penalty against Aston Villa was another that sort of been mocked um, widely from uh, f- fans from from other Premier League clubs, uh, particularly. On Twitter, but it's uh, it's an interesting point you raise about uh, Maguire and his set pieces because that was really what um, was the catalyst for Manchester United uh, buying him was the that World Cup. Although he mm. he had one more season at Leicester uh, after that World Cup where he scored maybe two or three goals. Um, I think certainly one in the the quarterfinal against Sweden. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. Obviously the. There's results, like I said, do have England uh, qualified and, and set in their place uh, for the World Cup next year. You know, their last couple of, of major tournaments have been both positive and negative. It's interesting you, you mentioned the uh, the Euro uh, 2020, as it was, uh, final. Um, you know, you have England there. Whether or not they were necessarily there on merit is is possibly a, a question for debate. And then, of course, you have Italy, who now have to go through uh, a playoff to uh, to make next year's World Cup. They, of course, didn't qualify at all for for Russia twenty eighteen. Mm. Uh, so it uh, it paints an interesting picture going forward. Uh, the Premier League, of course, as well, uh, over this international break, released their schedule, uh, which basically confirmed what everyone. Uh, was assuming, or certainly anyone that plays football manager would have uh, would have been able to predict it because uh, they've they've been all on top of it. Once you get into the the twenty twenty one or the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season, as it is, uh, they'll take that you know six week break or whatever it is mm-hmm. when uh, when all the countries go to Qatar, and then I think they're picking up the tools again eight days after the World it's Cup crazy. final. Crazy, it is yeah. absolutely crazy. This is going to be a disaster. It is, especially for England because. That's their their peak, their uh, crazy bit of the season where everyone's playing every three days, and it's you know it's football season over over Christmas, and to not give a I mean obviously it's a terrible idea to play the World Cup in the middle of the season. It's obviously a terrible idea to play it in Qatar. <laughs> Maybe less of a a bad idea to not play it in the Qatar summer. That's that's probably a good move yeah. if you're going to play it in Qatar. <laughs> but this scheduling, it pays almost no. Uh, no respect to the tournament. Not that I, you know, think it should be there, obviously, but it doesn't seem like the players are going to have much opportunity to, you know, play a friendly before yep. it starts, settle into camp. I think it's going to be a terrible tournament, yeah. and the club season is going to suffer as well because players coming straight off the back of the World Cup, 
you know, especially if they go deep into the tournament and then potential, you know, heartbreak come the end and uh, lots of minutes in their legs over a short amount of time in, um, you know, a country where the heat's going to be an issue even in winter. And then going straight back into the peak of the Premier League season after that, I mean, these players are getting flogged within the within an inch of their lives. We heard from the Belgian players, I think it was. Of course, they have a huge Premier League contingent. And I think it was after a Nations League semi-final or yeah, something. Yeah, Courtois. It was, was Thibaut Courtois yeah. saying, why are we here? What are we playing? What is this game for? Like, yeah. you can't be serious. Uh, how many games do we have to play in a calendar year? How many players have to get serious injuries and yep. uh, before they uh, actually think about the, the load that these players are, are working under? Yeah, and it's it's not... It's not just going to be that World Cup, you know. There's there's probably bound mm. to be a, a Copa America at some point because there's one of those just about every yep. year. There's uh, there's Centenario, that, yeah. <laughs> Centenario plus one, yep. plus two, <laughs> there's, yeah. There's uh, there's Afcon uh, coming up uh, in in a couple of months as well uh, over the turn of the year. So yeah, I mean, we we could probably sit here all day and and talk about the state of football as it is with you know broadcasters and and all the money that's being thrown around uh, and everything, but. We are the EPL show, uh, so we'll stick to uh, the EPL as it is. Uh, and a number of the budding Premier League stars that we've mentioned have helped England secure qualification for Qatar 2022. We'll take a quick break now. And on the other side of it, we previewed a little, previewed it a little bit uh, starting the show. Plenty of managerial movement going on, certainly headlined by Steven Gerrard's return to the Premier League. He'll have his debut match at uh, at Villa Park. Are they at home? They are at mm-hmm. home against Brighton this weekend. And we'll break it down after the break. To the EPL show, we've covered off the international break. England are through to the World Cup for next year. Now all the international nonsense is over. It's all about Premier League action, Champions League, Europa League, all those European competitions are finishing up. And the League Cup as well uh, will come around before the turn of the year. But uh, one team that's got nothing else to worry about other than picking themselves picking themselves up the Premier League table is Aston Villa. And they are going to try and do that with Steven Gerrard at the helm. Uh, a, a massive transfer window for them in the summer after a brilliant season last season. They obviously lose Jack Grealish. It's a bit of that Gareth Bale effect. You know, Jack, Jack Grealish moves on. They've tried to replace him with, with uh, three people that uh, they would hope uh, would become one Jack Grealish in Leon Bailey, uh, Danny Ings, and Emmy Buendia, of course, uh, from Norwich. It hasn't quite worked. They're currently sitting 16th on the table with 10 points, just two points above the relegation zone. Steven Gerrard, the manager, can he be Steven Gerrard, the player? And then can he do more than Steven Gerrard, the player, and perhaps uh, in, in future years and become a Premier League champion is uh, the question. Uh, Josh, I believe you, you're preparing preparing <laughs> something for us. Well... It was a a pretty inauspicious departure. Yeah, this is this is what he said when he was asked about his uh, his future at Rangers when all the speculation was going on. 
Do I look happy? Very. Do I look settled? Don't ask me silly questions then. So it wasn't a silly question after no, all. No, not at all. That was, uh, I, th- I think that was uh, initially referencing uh, links to uh, the Newcastle job, as mm-hmm. it were, but uh, it, it they, they crossed over very quickly as, uh, as as soon as Dean Smith was was sacked uh, at Aston Villa, uh, it, uh, it it seemed to happen very quickly from one of those that from the first little rumor that mm-hmm. you know they're looking at him uh, and then they were tying up the deal. You, I've, I feel, have a probably a stronger knowledge or uh, have watched more of the Scottish Premier League than I have. Talk us through, uh, I guess, your knowledge of Stephen Gerrard's Rangers. Just how good were they? They went, of course, undefeated, mm. winning the league. Uh, last season, do you think he can bring that to Aston Villa? I'm not sure. Uh, it depends if the players sort of fit with his, uh, I guess, his style of play. Uh, he went through quite a few different systems at Rangers before he settled on what he really wanted, and uh, then they, um, you know, they smashed the rest of the season. It was uh, quite. Um, a lot of interchangeable attacking midfield players who would swap positions and uh, sort of four one four one shape. It, it, it was quite fluid, and uh, they played quite narrow in the uh, in the attacking midfield spots and, and got forward a lot with the fullbacks. Uh, so there was quite a lot of possession play. It wasn't quite as uh, you know Captain Marvel crash bang and thunder as uh, Stephen Gerrard's Liverpool uh, career was on the pitch. <laughs> I always think that managers uh, coach how they played, uh, mm. but I think Gerrard has been influenced a lot by his assistants and his team. Yeah. And that's really important as part of his uh, development as a coach uh, that he's got an experienced backroom staff with him. And I think a lot of the tactical insight actually comes from his assistant coach, yeah. but the whole team is coming with him. They've just left Jermaine Defoe behind in the Sky Sports studio. <laughs> Everyone else Poor is guy. coming with him, so they've gutted the Rangers coaching stuff. <laughs> so that's good news for Villa. Yeah, that I'm just was... not quite sure how I'd feel as a Villa fan knowing that this is literally just his audition for the Liverpool job. It's Yeah, it, it's a funny sort of dynamic, isn't it? Because all, already it's a, a lot of the narrative really has nothing to do with Aston Villa. It's mm. about Gerrard coming to the Premier League and if this goes well then surely he, he takes over from Klopp when he leaves. But if this doesn't go well, then does that spell the end of, of his dreams to coach Liverpool? We've seen uh, Frank Lampard is maybe an example of him taking the job too early. So where where do you think, I guess, mm. this football nowadays seems to, to be in this... Um, this trend of uh, you know clubs are hiring uh, former uh, former players or, mm. or, or legendary players in a Barcelona have just done it with Xavi. Um, I guess it remains to be seen whether that works. Juventus with Andrea Pirlo not quite worked out. Mm. So it's do, do you th- what do you think about that trend? I, I, I guess that that's happening. Yeah. I I think it's. Uh, clubs trying uh, one to uh, curry favor with their supporters mm. by appointing a manager uh, that has legendary playing experience. But what clubs don't think about when they appoint that manager is eventually one way or another, that manager is going to leave. Yep. And usually you're going to sack him. And that's an awkward proposition when it's Steven Gerrard, you know, Stevie G Liverpool legend. I think it's way too early to think yeah. about a Liverpool job. 
Uh, even, you know, if he is successful at Villa and maybe gets them, you know, to Premier League safety first and foremost and, and establishes them as a, as a comfortable mid-table side or even, you know, pushes for Europa League like, uh, like Martin O'Neill did back in the mm. day with the Villains, does that qualify him for the Liverpool gig? I mean, Jurgen Klopp got made the Champions League final with Borussia Dortmund and won the Bundesliga before he was considered. Mm. Twice That's, as well, didn't he? The exactly. Yep. He won it twice. And, um, you know, was pipped to the post in the Champions League by a last-minute Bayern Munich goal from Iron Robin. Mm. So that's a hell of an apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, Klopp made his way through uh, the world of German football and now into English football purely on merit. Nobody particularly knew who he was from his playing days. He did play. He was a yeah. defender at Mainz. He always jokes about how bad he was. Yep. I think he exaggerates that a little bit. <laughs> um, but... You know, he is one of the top coaches in the world for um, uh, for a reason because he spent years and years honing his craft and Steven Gerrard simply hasn't done that. So I, you know, this is a bit of a Jamie Carragher style take, but um, you know what he said about at Frank Lampard, you know, um, I can't really do the accent. <laughs> I'd like to see him get the Chelsea job, you know, in 10 years. You know, maybe that's for Stevie G. Maybe, 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 maybe he can get the Liverpool job. There, <laughs> um, but it's it, it's an interesting one because Frank Lampard certainly when he was hired, my first reaction was that he's way too early. Mm. He he had had one season in management with Derby. He was parachuted Did, in because they had a transfer ban, yeah, and they thought, oh, it'll be low pressure environment for him. Uh, this season and you know they didn't really have any realistic aspirations that year of challenging for the title of Champions League as soon as he had a transfer budget to play with he was found out yeah I I think this probably speaks about some issues at at Chelsea in in general as well because there's there's plenty of talk after he left even while he was there that he didn't really even want Timo Werner uh, and and some mm. of the signings really yeah. were, were were over his head. Did he bring the Germans in and as his uh, as his father in law? Yeah, <laughs> um, it, exactly. And you know, you you thought that that hire then had to come with time, mm. and then of course you know we're, wherever they were seventh or eighth at, at whatever point, and it's worked out for Chelsea in the end. Clearly, Thomas Tuchel's come in, um, won them a, a Champions League, and has them at the moment on top of the Premier League and, and on course for a a very strong title push, but the, uh, the backroom staff is, is something uh, that, that you mentioned as well. The, uh, I, I work a, a little bit with um, a, a few Scottish guys um, that mm. obviously follow uh, the Scottish Premier League closely. And, and one of them said that um, it, it really is down to Michael Beale, who is the Steven Gerrard's assistant. He was the Academy director. I believe he was certainly the under 23s manager at Liverpool, Around the same time, uh, well, he, he was for, for a number of years. And then, of course, uh, Gerard's first taste of management was with the under-18s at Liverpool. Curtis Jones was the, the captain of, of that side uh, a few years ago. So it, it, it seems that a, a lot of the, yeah, the, the wisdom behind the scenes comes from Michael Beale. Even with Jurgen Klopp, he mm-hmm. has always said that he, he's just the manager. He's just the face of it. And he takes expertise from... You know, um, Zelko Buvac, who's, who's now moved on, he always used to say that none, nothing, none of their success would have happened without him, without Peter Kravitz, the other uh, assistant coach as well. Gary McAllister. Is that, is that mini Klopp with the glasses? And the no, beard? that's that's Andreas Kornmeyer. He's oh, the sorry. he's the the fitness guy. Um, Peter Kravitz <laughs> is the the real big one with the, oh, the yep, booming okay. voice. Um, 
Uh, Gary McAllister, former, uh, obviously, Liverpool legend. Maybe legend is a bit of a stretch, well, but icon, uh, yeah. at least, um, is... is the... Certainly favoured personnel in football. Yeah, yeah in for, <laughs> for sure. I mean, he won a Scouse treble. <laughs> yeah. the, they're the, the trio that are, are coming in. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And look, the Villa squad has the quality. We've we've mentioned those players that they brought in. Uh, we we saw the the success that they had last mm. season. So was it premature the sacking of Dean Smith? I think it was. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised by it. I mean, you just ripped out the best player that uh, your club has had in the modern era, probably. You know, mm. in, certainly in the last decade, uh, Jack Grealish was the best player and probably the most important player to any Premier League team as an individual. And he's gone, yes, you get £100 million. Yes, you invest in the squad. And there's a big transfer spend there, of course, over a number of years. But wouldn't you expect uh, a period of uh, getting used to life without Jack? Because mm. you've seen Villa play without him when he was injured or, or whatnot before, and they were terrible. So, yeah. of course, there was going to be an, a, an adjustment period, a grace period. And the, and the players that they've bought, with the exception of Ings, who, of course, is a ready-made successful striker are more sort of money ball signings for the future that might attract big fees from other clubs. They're young, early 20s players like Buendia and Leon Bailey in particular who probably won't hit their peak for another three or four years. So I mm. think expecting results straight away was a bit uh, a bit naive from the Villa ownership. Yeah, the 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 Grealish thing is, is a good one that you mentioned because when he was injured for a, a fair portion of the back half of last season, that was really when their their European yeah. push hit the rocks. And mm. it, it, it's it been shown countless times. I mentioned Gareth Bale, Luis Suarez when he left Liverpool, Eden Hazard when he left Chelsea. Obviously, that did coincide with Lampard coming in and the transfer ban and whatever. And I do believe they, they still made the top four in the end anyway. Yeah, they just um, snuck in on the final day, as I recall. Yeah, so there, there, there is that hangover when a, a star play leaves, especially when he's a captain and... You know, where Jack Grealish for for a very long time was the crown jewel of Aston Villa. You know, when he when he wasn't um, being pictured in some uh, unfortunate scenarios when he was a a, a younger wee lad. Um, I think he was still the crown prince in a yeah, different way. <laughs> very true. Um, but yeah, it's and, and I think we've we've seen previously as well clubs that have had uh, sort of those bolter kind of of seasons the next season they ultimately have a little bit of that hangover. I, I, I'll never forget when uh, when Birmingham had an absolutely fantastic campaign with uh, Alex McLeish. They came eighth uh, and then ended up in Europe and then they were relegated the season after. I remember the same thing happened with Stoke when they, uh, I think they lost the F- FA Cup final to Man City but got into Europe. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's a, a more European thing. But even pre, um, uh, more recently we've seen um, Leicester, season after they won the Premier League, perhaps a, a little bit more severe because that Premier League title was uh, just a, a, a stuff stuff of legend, so to speak. But they had a drop-off. Southampton had a, a really positive end to two seasons ago, were a bit meh last season. They've stuck with Ralph Hasenhutl, which is, uh, is interesting to compare. A uh, couple other managerial changes, and the one we're talking about surprising managerial changes. Waking up and finding out that Daniel Farker had been sacked by Norwich City Just after <laughs> they got their first win of the Premier League season. How on earth does that make sense? Winning games, <laughs> we don't do that here. Yeah. It's bad for the brand. I mean, <laughs> look, the only piece of silverware Norwich are going to win is the championship over and over again. And if Daniel Farker's uh, 
desire to win Premier League matches uh, gets in the way of that silverware, then he's got to go. You know, <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, I don't know. Again, what do you expect when you don't invest in the squad? Yeah, um, I think Villa have gone too hard in one direction with. Um, signing too many players and trying to incorporate them all immediately. But I think they will improve in the second half of the year. Uh, Gerrard aside, Dean Smith aside, whoever's in charge, those players are going to gel and they're going to improve. Norwich have gone with basically the same squad with a number of players poached, um, including, you know, Buendia, of course, uh, who's their playmaker as they Mm. strolled to championship success last season. Mm. And, you know, surprisingly... They're the worst team in the league. It happened uh, two seasons ago as well, exactly the same way. So, you know, um, if you're not willing to uh, invest from ownership perspective to stay in the league, and you don't have to go crazy like Fulham did, mm. um, then I don't. I don't see how you stay up. I don't see what Daniel Farker could have really done differently. Maybe he's too ambitious with his style of play with the players at his disposal. Yeah. But you know, you knew that when you hired him. So. It it doesn't quite uh, make sense to me, and uh, they've got Dean Smith in. He's straight back into yeah. employment uh, it's after the, it's being the sacked by his uh, eight, his boyhood club. Eight days it took him to to find another <laughs> Premier League job, which which is the quickest turnaround for a manager between jobs in mm. the Premier League in history, uh, as you could imagine. It's crazy. Um, like he, he shouldn't have been sacked. And he probably shouldn't have been hired, but yeah. he's got no, he's got a job again. So good on <laughs> Dean Smith. Yeah, I, I don't mean, see them staying up. No. Um, I think he's a good man for the job. Uh, whether he can sort of handle the emotional roller coaster of the the eight days, yeah, <laughs> uh, is another thing. It'll take some adjustment from a human level. But as a as a coach, I think he's a very good good one. Uh, but I still don't think they stay up in the Premier League. I think it's a, a real, real tough ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking up now the the route from Birmingham to Norwich. Two hour, fifty six minute drive. <laughs> Could sp- split that over eight days. That's a, <laughs> a handful of minutes Could have each that. day. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's yeah, Norwich. It's a sad one because when when they do connect with or, or certainly have connected with with some of that football that that bold football that you mentioned that Daniel Parker liked to play they've they've looked really good mm. and but it's it's yeah perhaps that naivety or you know they've at times they've changed from a back three sort of just randomly for a couple of games um and they've they've tinkered with formations and i think they i think they have brought players in that maybe just haven't worked i think Milot uh, Rashica, Rashika uh, from yeah, from Werder Bremen. Um, he was a, a very exciting signing, but he just hasn't cut it. Uh, Matthias Norman is one that that has done well. He's on loan from from uh, Rostov in Russia, but I mean Billy Gilmore is is now bizarrely sort of frozen out of the team after initially playing uh, or playing quite a bit uh, in in the early part of the season. I remember he was he was very good against Liverpool on opening day. The couple of Greek guys that they got, um, Dimitris Yanoulis in particular, also was very good in that Liverpool game. Josh Sargent hasn't really uh, trans- transitioned in yet, so there's an Irish contingent there, which is not. Yeah, um, you know, uh, they they're playing international football and starting games for mm. Republic of Ireland now, um, in Ida and Omabama Delhi. Yeah, uh, at centre back as well. Yeah, um, so McLean as well. He's you Irish. know, it's a championship level squad. Scottish. It's yeah. a championship level squad. So. Like some of the names you mentioned, 
could prove to be shrewd pickups or um, break through and, and prove to be maybe Premier League level talent, but it'll be few and far between. They're a yo-yo team and they're yep. going to remain that way, I think. Yeah, they are They are stuck in, in quite an awful no-man's land. I think we, we've had teams that have come up and... Yeah, uh, up up and down. In previously, I think West Brom is is a more uh, recent example of that. Hull City, maybe uh, towards the early part of the 2010s, were up and down a little bit. But I, I've really never seen anything like it with this Norwich team, where they can just boss the championship. You know, the last mm. two times they've been in the championship, they have won the league by a mile, uh, and now they as soon as they go up to the Premier League, it's just whatever happens. That it's yeah, the it, way they play, they're good when they're. Uh, playing on the front foot mm. against, uh, and when they're uh, the favourite in the game, and they can afford to be the uh, proactive team. But when you try and play that way against superior opposition, and you don't really have an underdog game plan, uh, it's hard to survive. I applaud them for for trying to to play some football, and you know, not Sean Dyche their way to survival, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, it's not a great underdog strategy to expose yourself to that level of risk in possession. So maybe that's why uh, Norwich have decided the change is in order. But maybe if they get relegated, which they probably will anyway, mm. maybe Daniel Farker can come back and get them promoted again. Possibly. Because he, he could be a promotion specialist. Yeah. They, uh, they do exist. You know, yeah. there's plenty of them in the English game, usually more uh, local British managers. Uh, but... Uh, they, they, Neil Warnock, you know, one yeah, of them. Exactly. Um, you know, there are a few guys that, that know how to game the championship with their specific yep. system. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And, I mean, it, it obviously is early days, so the, the mm. gaps between teams aren't fully formed yet. They are only five points adrift of 17th at the moment. So if Dean Smith can come in and, and pull something mad off, it's it's not quite... 100% away from them yet, I think, you know, sort of mathematically and, and from a literal sense. Certainly from a just an eye test point of view, it looks like there's no way they can stay up. But perhaps uh, Dean Smith can, can work some magic. And the one other uh, new managerial appointment is, uh, well, on equal points with Norwich City. Uh, no, no wins uh, so far for them this season. Uh, just the five draws, six defeats in 11 games for Newcastle United, the newly cashed-up Newcastle United. And Eddie Howe is finally back in uh, or in Premier League management, but in any management, yeah. of course, we uh, we know what, what ended up with Celtic uh, in, in the summer. Uh, and obviously, our Ange has, has landed there. I'm not sure about this one. I think Eddie Howe, look, he did very well with Bournemouth uh, for, for a few years, but that team really is just really stagnated. And I think he... He did very little to to turn turn it around uh, in in a more positive direction. So he made some terrible buys as well. Uh, I'm not sure Solanke and Jordan Ibe. how he's going to go with a 200 million pound transfer kitty uh, <laughs> because uh, well look I think um, I think he's leaving at the end of the season but uh, Michael Edwards will be licking his lips knowing how much money <laughs> yeah. Eddie Howe has to yeah. spend. One, one last one last parting <laughs> gift will uh, will be getting 30 million from Newcastle for. I don't know who, Kia, Nico Jan Hoover or, or whatever. He, he's already at Wolves, oh, unfortunately. He would have been a nice one. Or maybe Nat Phillips. There you go. Yeah, New, Nat Newcastle would say Nat Phillips. 30 million for, 30 for Nat Phillips. Cha-ching. <laughs> I would absolutely love that just quietly. Um, but yeah, Newcastle, one of one of the few predictions, you mentioned my Crystal Palace prediction that we're, we're not going to, to talk about. Um, Aston Villa, I predicted them to be uh, quite high on the table. I think and, everybody got sucked in by the yeah, door. Yeah. Um, 
Although you, you didn't, I remember that. I, was, I, I didn't. You, okay, well, that's good, that's good to know. I, 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 I don't remember. I think you had them sort of mid-table. 10th or below, yeah, maybe just mid-table. below. Um, but Newcastle, I think, was one that I, I did pin in the relegation zone uh, pre-season. They're sitting there now, like I said, with no wins. What what do you think Eddie Howe needs to do? He's He's got his boy Callum Wilson back and Ryan Fraser, of course, is, yep. is in the mix. Can he bring something out of them? Look, they, they do have some talent. You know, Alan St. Maximan is, is obviously a brilliant player. Joel Linton was was very good in the Bundesliga, hasn't uh, brought that across to the Premier League. What what can – oh, Matt Ritchie, of course. Goodness, it is a bit of a Bournemouth reunion, this yeah. team. So what do you think Eddie Howe can can bring something out of, of these – these players and take Newcastle back? Well, there'll be goodwill from the fans, less so from opposition fans for mm. obvious reasons. Uh, the best covered by more serious news outlets than ours. But uh, <laughs> look, uh, until they uh, get an opportunity to spend, uh, I don't think uh, it's going to change markedly. Just the um, the managerial change will lift spirits, I think, because Steve Bruce was just such a... Um, uh, persona non grata is mm. the uh, is the expression I was reaching for there uh, on Tyneside. You know they just they just didn't like him, no, um, and he was did. never. They made their mind up about him very early that he was a cheap option, that he was uh, a instrument of a, of a regime that they didn't support. And now Eddie Howe is the new man. I think will be greeted with open arms. He tries to play a more proactive, more possession focused style of football, where Steve Bruce was very much. Uh, you know, sort of five four one or four four five one uh, counter attacking. The thing I'm really interested in is whether Alan Maximan fits into a team concept because mm. he's the most individualistic player in the Premier League, Very and true. he's fantastic to watch. A bit like Adama Traore, except you know, maybe leaning more towards the step overs and less towards yeah, the road runner speed. He, he can actually sort of cross a ball as well, <laughs> Alan yeah. Maximan. <laughs> yeah, true. But there, there's that similar uh, yeah, level that of explosiveness, and, explosiveness, yeah. trickery, yeah. and individualism that makes them stand out. And you, you sit up and take notice and go, "These guys aren't passing." <laughs> you know, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's it's like the kid in the goal movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's yeah. just taking on players over and over again, and he gets a lecture from and his the, manager. The, and I think the, the, the scouts sitting on the sidelines passing <laughs> Santiago. Pass you know why we pass? <laughs> because the ball is faster than you. Yeah, the the, the classic <laughs> under 11s coaching move. Yeah. Right? And I say, if I kick the ball and you try and run after it, which yeah. one's going to be quicker? <laughs> so I, I think it. Eddie Howe might have to have the same conversation with mm. uh, Mr. Gucci Headbands. And uh, it could be an interesting one uh, because yeah. he's, it's going to be a, a huge change in, in style for him. Uh, for the team, obviously, I think it's a positive. I'm not sure if the ownership know what they're doing because going after Unai Emery and then Eddie Howe seems to suggest you have no idea what style of football you want to play yeah. uh, or what kind of personality you want in the dugout. You seem they, They're just going for a name that has a CV, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so don't, don't love the uh, organization behind the scenes, uh, but Eddie Howe should be an improvement on Steve Bruce, which... Uh, for Newcastle fans in their uh, assessment of uh, of Steve Bruce as a manager, which I think is slightly harsh, mm. uh, that's not difficult bar to clear. Yeah, I, I do feel for Steve Bruce, and he he had that quote uh, sort of on his way out about you know how it's affected him and and his family and how it, it's. it's you're going to say he said how's the bacon? Did you say <laughs> <laughs> the doing a kebab? <laughs> but, uh, 
Um, and, and how he said that it's it's probably going to be his last uh, last job in management because he just he really couldn't take it anymore, which is unfortunate because you know he's he's had a great career in in football, not so much as a manager in a, a top flight level. He's he had a couple of promotions with. Uh, did he get Sunderland it up? I'm not sure, but he definitely he, he did, definitely yeah. had promotion with um, with Hull. Yeah, uh, and well, he, he left uh, before Dean Smith took over at Aston Villa, and he seems like and a nice guy as well. He does, the, yeah. the level of hatred for him is so over the top. Yeah, and um, I guess it's more directed towards Mike Ashley for yeah. hiring him in the first place and not paying Rafa Benitez what he wanted or and, giving him the resources he needed. And so he, that, that was the resentment he came in with his, his yeah. discount Rafa, yeah. essentially. Very true, and he did. Well, like th- this Newcastle team, I, I mentioned that I-, I had them pinned for relegation. A lot of people have been for a few years mm. predicting Newcastle to go down every time. They came 12th last season above Wolves, Southampton, Brighton, mm. for example. The season before, I don't actually know if he managed the season before. I'm pretty sure he did. 13th, again, mm. above West Ham and Aston Villa, who sure. are now, you know, sort of on, on paper better than them. So... Harsh on the Steve defense Bruce, was surprisingly porous in comparison to Rafa. I was looking at the stats, and um, Newcastle finished in you know pretty respectable ladder positions, as you say. But uh, they can, they shipped a lot more goals, which mm. is surprising when you think of him as quite a pragmatic coach. Yeah. So maybe he lacked the level of tactical detail and insight that Rafa has in order to organize a backline. Now that, that that's certainly um, you know something that uh, Newcastle fans would have uh, been annoyed about, but you know. They scored a similar amount of goals. Rafa was a pretty defensive manager, maybe out of necessity with the the resources, but I don't think they played markedly different styles of football. So it, it seems as if there are, dare I say, uh, delusions of grandeur on on the tune. Uh, no, no yeah. more because they have a, a transfer war chest to match the uh, the ambitions of their fans. Yeah, and, and I mean, if if they're not happy with conceding goals, then uh, Eddie Howe is is going to bring something all. Um, all the more uh, frustrating for them, I think. You, you look at the some of the numbers of, of Bournemouth's Premier League seasons, well over 60 goals conceded each year. Mm. Uh, yes, maybe it's counteracted by a fairly decent goal return that, that they had most years. And, you know, that they were competing around the top half for, for a few years. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not too big a fan of this one. I think there was a lot of hype around Eddie Howe about his um, you know, potential to be an England manager or I remember he was heavily linked with the Arsenal job at sure. one point and I, I, I just don't quite see it myself. I think the way that it, it ended up at Bournemouth, um, yes, a, a, a good couple of seasons uh, for a brief period of time, but the way they sort of went down really without a fight, um, I, I think didn't didn't reflect too well on him. But, you know, he's he's had a couple of years out he of the game get them now. get on up. Twice it was it two promotions yeah, or three uh, over over a few years I think it was yeah but it was a, the, a very yeah. small club yeah um you know the the buzz generated around that place was unbelievable like it was an unthinkable feat to get them into the yeah. Premier League and we became used to them because they survived for so long that's true so I think assessing him uh, based on the latter years of his reign even if he did make some expensive transfer mistakes and so forth I think it might be slightly unfair. Um, is the Newcastle job too big for him? I think we'll have to wait and see. Mm. He seems like uh, the only available manager who wanted to take it, not necessarily the best coach they could yep. have gone out and got. Um, but I, I still think he's a good coach. Yeah. Well, uh, like you said, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how he fits in 
at Newcastle. He'll have his first game at home uh, against mm. Brentford. Incidentally, the team that just lost to uh, Hands at Norwich, their first win of the season. So will they hand Newcastle their first win of the season? We'll take one last break uh, and come back and preview the rest of the fixtures for the Premier League's return. Don't miss it. Back to the EPL show. We're into injury time, Fergie time, if you like. We're wrapping up with our final segment, just looking ahead at the weekend's fixtures. Uh, as has been mentioned, we're done with international football for quite a while now. I think the next international break usually comes around February or March, so we have lots of Premier League action. You know, the, the midweek games are going to start coming heading into December as well. But looking no further than this week and then the first game of this round is a very interesting one with Leicester City hosting Chelsea. I think Leicester, by their lofty ambitions in the last couple of years, probably haven't been as good as they would have liked or would have expected so far this season. Chelsea, on the other hand, topping the table at the moment, uh, looking very solid. How do you see this one playing out? Because I think Leicester, just as it seemed that they were maybe sort of starting to turn a corner. They had four games unbeaten, albeit draws with Burnley and Crystal Palace that maybe they would have liked to have won. They beat Manchester United, beat Brentford away, which is proving to be a tough fixture. But a quite insipid defeat against Arsenal and a draw against struggling Leeds in their last game maybe has has put that little resurgence on ice at the moment. So how do you see this one turning out? And how do you see Leicester's season uh, unfolding? Because, you know, Brendan Rodgers... Is still a name linked with the Manchester United job as well, so that could throw another spanner in the works. I think he's uh, slowly going about tainting the reputation he's rebuilt for himself Mm. uh, this season. Uh, I don't think it's quite caught up to him yet, um, but seeing him as a realistic proposition for a a big job means that he has to achieve something tangible uh, with Leicester City. And so often they're in the mix for a Champions League place, um, you know, as an as a real underdog in that in that race, and so often on the last few weeks of the season they bottle it when it counts. And uh, thinking back to certain Liverpool fixtures mm. uh, that may or may not have uh, let slip a title race lead, doesn't paint a great picture for Brendan <laughs> Rodgers. Uh, I I think he's chopping and changing too much this season. There's too much inconsistency in the starting lineup. Yes, they've had injuries, but he still doesn't really know what his best team is. And it's hurting them. They have no fluency in this in this side, no consistency. Um, so, you know, Manchester United, I think in, a lot of people watched that game and got a false impression of how good Leicester City are mm. because United made them look a lot better than yeah. they really are. So I'm going for Chelsea in this game. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think Leicester will, will continue to be an interesting story because if we're talking mm. about sort of Aston Villa in a team that's underperforming expectations, you know, if... On one hand, if Rodgers is uh, going to be consistently linked with the Manchester United job, he might actually have to be looking the other way and making sure that um, the, uh, the the Leicester-shaped uh, alligator isn't uh, snapping at his ankles, if you like, to use uh, some sort of random analogy <laughs> that I've put together there. Crikey! <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they sit 12th. I mean, what are we, 15 points, which is level with Palace and Everton. A win... Uh, or within a win of sixth, uh, which is Manchester United on 17th. So 
again, in this formative part of the Premier League season, the the, the gaps are always uh, quite close. But with games like Chelsea still to play, uh, I don't think they've played Liverpool either. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't think we've played them yet. Um, you know, they they need to start picking up some results, and and it is these next few weeks where the table is going to start taking shape. So uh, a, a positive result in in this game would would be massive. Uh, for for Leicester, they uh, they beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. They did, did they? Tillman's so, yeah. long range belter. Yeah, so yeah. perhaps they can uh, they can channel some of that uh, Wembley magic. Uh, Newcastle and Brentford, we mentioned uh, earlier. Eddie Howe's first game. I was just looking at the table before. I am shocked that Brentford are only fourteenth on twelve points. I mm. thought they were. Much higher than that. Have I've... you been reading XG tables again? <laughs> yeah, possibly I have. Or maybe I'm just still uh, shivering from the three-all draw that <laughs> Liverpool had at the the Brentford Community Stadium. Uh, I think is. this is going to be a bit of a, a wet blanket, this one. I think it's going to be an underwhelming one-all. Mm. I think often when new managers come in, they keep it simple and keep it tight. And I don't think Eddie Howe's really going to go for the jugular in this one, knowing that Brentford can hit in transition so effectively as they did against Liverpool. So I think it'll be a, uh, probably a one-all, hopefully not a nil-all, but I think it's going to yeah. be a draw. I'm going to go for Brentford. I I really like what they're doing. I think they can uh, they can take the win despite the uh, the inevitable um, Eddie, Eddie Howe or, or new manager effect that uh, that does seem to happen. Burnley and Crystal Palace is uh, perhaps preseason we would have been looking at this fixture thinking two teams towards the bottom of the table. As it is, only one team towards the bottom of the table. That's Burnley who. Uh, are the other side in the bottom three alongside Newcastle? I think this one's obvious. It's got to be a Crystal Palace win, surely. Yeah. I mean, they're flying at the moment. Yeah. Uh, England debutant Colin, Conor Gallagher uh, can no longer uh, <laughs> be uh, asked to check his grandparents' uh, birthplaces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's definitely playing for, uh, for the three lines, and, yep. and that's that's a, a feather in the cap of Patrick Vieira and, and Wolf mm. Zaha are still, um, you know, outstanding for a team at that level. Um, so. Yeah, I'm going for a Crystal Palace win. At yeah. Burnley, I think this might be the season where the wheels come off. Yeah, they're, they're another one like Newcastle where a lot of people each year mm. predict that this is going to be the one where they go down and Sean Dyche always manages to propel them up to 8th or ninth or 10th or, or, or just keep them safe. But certainly early doors, they look to have lost a lot of, you know, what, what, what's what been, mm. I say great, oh, Probably successful is the the better term because it's not <laughs> it's not really great to watch, uh, but it, it's been successful for them. Is the the productivity that they've got out of uh, Chris Wood and and Ashley Barnes mainly as the front two? They've brought Maxwell Cornet in who, who's been scoring quite a few goals. Dwight McNeil hasn't really had a, as much of an impact this season uh, as he has in previous campaigns. Uh, it's so Sean Dyche to look at a guy who's played as an attacking wing back in league uh, in Maxwell Cornet and go right. That's a striker. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's when um, I remember when he signed. Everyone sort of looked up and thought, "What's this? You know, an, an attacking fullback? What is yeah. what is going on at Burnley?" But no, oh, turns out play him up front. turns out the plan was uh, was to pop him up front all along. Uh, Aston Villa and Brighton. This one is a really interesting game because uh, I am very publicly a massive fan of Brighton, and and finally I've been backed up. Last year I supported them. All season, and they just continued to drop in Brentford-esque XG performances yep, and not XGFC. win. They're now 
showing it that they can do it. They're in seventh. They're, they're actually on- outperforming their XG, if you believe, in the uh, points Believe stable. it or not, they've only lost two games, which only Liverpool and Chelsea have, have lost one. But there's a new manager bounce. Exactly. And it is one Steven Gerrard that we have mentioned. I'm still going to go for Brighton in this one. Yeah, I'm I, I'm going to go draw. I think I... Yeah, I, I'm going to go draw. I think Brighton, very good. Aston Villa also, I, I really do think their potential is very high. It's interesting as well, looking at this period that Gerrard's coming into. Brighton, Crystal Palace, Man City, Leicester and Liverpool. The first five games for Aston Villa. So that could be... Baptism of fire. Absolutely. If, if ever I saw... I can't wait for the Liverpool game. That's going to be it's so gonna good. It's going to be huge. <laughs> yeah, coming to All Anfield right. on December 12. Watford, Manchester United. Um, Watford. They can't, they can't lose that. Watford. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, but I'm picking Watford. Are you, do you actually think that? <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> Interesting. Why? Josh King is going to score five... No, um, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, United are in a really bad place at the moment uh, when it comes to their squad composition and the manager uh, being torn between what's been successful for him in the past and what he feels he should do as Manchester United manager. You know, you know, got to play with wingers. You know, you got to get the ball in the box. You got to play attacking football. It's the United way. It's in the DNA. You know, mm. and uh, in fact the most successful performances of his reign have been much more transitional counter-attacking. Um, so, you know, playing the likes of uh, Greenwood and Rashford up top and getting the ball to them quickly yep. um, as opposed to trying to dominate games as they they uh, did in their uh, 90s heyday. So, mm. In some ways, Solskjaer sort of provided the blueprint to mm. beating Man City uh, a couple of years sure. ago when they did the double over uh, Pep side in the in the... In the Premier League, and it was and exactly then what you said. that blueprint. Yeah, <laughs> it's and were just god awful in the last Manchester derby before yeah. the international break. Surely they can't lose to Watford, so I'm going to go with a Manchester United win. But do you dilly ding dilly dong? Potentially, can you can you see? Oh, there's been so much talk about Solskjaer. It's it's getting a little old now. Yeah. But can you see him getting sacked at some point? Ah, uh, he'll get you, sacked at some point, but it's not going to be during the season. Point, but yeah, you think they'll leave it to if, the if end? If you can lose five nil to Liverpool at home and keep your job, you're not getting sacked during the season. Yeah, and they 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 will get to a point where they can no longer mathematically qualify for the Champions League, and then with however many games left, there'll be a caretaker. That's the pattern we see at Manchester United. They yep. don't like to change coaches during the season. I guess uh, was Mourinho an exception? Uh, to that rule. I think there was yeah. a mid-season change. Yep. But that was like pure toxic uh, dressing room atmosphere. That that became urgent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a way. Sure. I think Mourinho, you know, uh, <laughs> was about to file the paperwork himself <laughs> uh, because it was just not, not uh, it's no longer tenable. Uh, I, I, I think United uh, bereft of options to replace him as well. I mean, mm. who comes in? They lost you know, Pochettino's out on... Pochettino's in a job. They lost, they lost out on Antonio Conte. Conte. It's uh, p- potentially a, a major sliding doors moment had Spurs beaten United a couple of weeks ago uh, rather than the other way around. Hmm. Would um, would United have pulled the trigger and, and got Conte? Uh, talking of Manchester United uh, managers or ex-managers, David Moyes' was a seven-year contract has probably only, only just expired recently. Um, <laughs> but he's, boy, oh boy, he has, you have to take your hat off oh. to him because uh, certainly his first stint at West Ham, was 
diabolical. Mm. He was poor at Sunderland. He went to Real Sociedad and couldn't pronounce <laughs> Illaramendi's last name in the press conference and just had no clue what was going on I think on the there. highlight of that was when he got sent to the stands and a, a fan offered him a chip. <laughs> that was good. That was at uh, the new camp. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he didn't cover himself in glory over in, over in Spain. He didn't look uh, ready or qualified for that position and he didn't know the league and it didn't work out for him. And you've seen Real Sociedad's success since then uh, showing that they actually had a lot of potential mm, as a club. Very true. Um, I have to take my hat off to him because he's playing a very old-fashioned style of Premier League football from the mid-2000s and getting results with it. I mean, West Ham aren't amazing to watch. They're a counter-attacking side. They have a big striker that they launch balls to if they need to. Declan Rice is uh, playing as that box-to-box bulldozing presence with, um, you know, Premier League games at a higher pace and a little bit more chaotic than international football. I think that suits his skill set. But, you know... Moisey came to, to West Ham and gave that very bold press conference first time around when he said, you know, I win. That's what I do. I win. <laughs> and he got widely clowned for it, but he's proven all the doubt is wrong. Absolutely. And uh, and you, you love to see it. And Looking at the, the table there, they're third really on merit at the moment level with Man City. You talk about the, the, the style of football that they're playing. It is fast, explosive on the counter-attack. But they've scored 23 goals. Man City have only scored 22. They've, you know, so if you look at City as a, a benchmark sort of a, of attacking football, you know, they've they've put more goals in the back of the net than Man City. I think they'll beat Wolves this weekend. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. I think the the Hammers are looking very strong, and and there's a lot of talk. You know, Andy Townsend after um uh, on the commentary after West Ham beat Liverpool said, uh, you know, yeah, they're doing well, but. I can't see them making the top four and, you know, it'll sort of drop off at the end. I think why, why not? Why can't they make the top four? I think certainly while, you know, United and I mean, Arsenal are, are having a little bit of an upturn in form, but you know, Tottenham have been poor. Leicester have been poor while all these sides are tripping over each other. Why can't West Ham uh, maintain this uh, and keep it going? Uh, we'll rattle through the last few uh, Southampton to beat Norwich. I think is, is yep. probably a universal lock, lock prediction step on that one. Uh, Liverpool Arsenal still the fixture that has the most uh, Premier League goals in history. Pakur is again uh, with ease pricked up uh, behind the glass. <laughs> yes, of course, Andrea Chavin. Uh A lot of the goals in the fixture, uh, certainly of late, have been scored by Liverpool. There have been a, a number of mm-hmm. significant wins. I think last year was uh, um, off the top of my head. I think both were three nil or three one. Uh, there's been 5-1 at Anfield. There's been 4-0 at Anfield recently for Liverpool. It seems to be a fixture that Liverpool have a handle of, and I do think we will beat Arsenal. Although, uh, I have to go on record, and I, I hope Bakuri is listening. I am a massive fan of Arsenal. I, I, say, I said this in our preview show as well. I really, really like what they're doing. I love mm. Smith-Rowe and Saka and and, and these these younger players that that are coming up. I've, I've liked the signings. Tommy Asu looks brilliant. Ben White has... Maybe a little bit slower, but he looks good. Ramsdale's come in and done very well. So I do like Arsenal. I think they're a shout for top four, but I think Liverpool will be too strong. Yeah, Arsenal are fifth place, and that's exactly where they deserve to be because they can beat the sides below them, uh, but they can't seem to crack mm-hmm. uh, uh, the top four and the, and the, the big teams. Um, they, they just don't play well against them. They, don't, they, they can't boss those games. Um, against the uh, sort of lower two-thirds of the Premier League. They can have most of the possession and be patient and create chances through their, you know, creative talents like Smith-Rowe and, and Odegaard. 
but against the big clubs, they're found wanting, and I think that pattern will continue. Um, look, Arsenal spend a lot of money. I don't think it's you know uh, Mikel Arteta and and Edu and Co finding you know uncut gems. They spent fifty million on Ben White and yep. forty or thirty million on on Ramsdale. Mm, yeah, um, very but, expensive. You know they, they've come at a cost. They're coming at a premium. But most of those guys, especially Tommy Asu, um, and he was about the cheapest of the lot. Yeah, as well. exactly. <laughs> uh, have really come off. Um, so you know uh, there's less creative burden on on. Um, Players like obviously he's injured at the moment, isn't he? Uh, Granite Shaka, but you know they've relied on him for creativity in years past. They don't rely on uh, him anymore. I yep. think that's a very good move to, to play with these two number tens. And uh, Thomas Party adds a lot of the bite in midfield that they've been missing. But I still don't think they're quite at the level yet of Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and that's why I think Liverpool's going to win. Yeah, we'll be uh, one to keep an eye on certainly if you, if you like uh, to watch games with goals because. As history tells us, there should be plenty at Anfield. Last uh, two? Last two then. City and Everton. I think Everton might steal this. Ooh. I think Rafa has has surprised me, to be honest. Yeah. Although the, the last couple of They're weeks... They're so inconsistent. I can't get a read on Everton at all. The last couple of weeks, that they've been quite poor. I mean, the, the Tottenham game was just a ridiculously boring nil-all draw. Prior to that, three losses in mm. a row. That followed that Manchester United game, which they really should have won. Mm. Um, and then, you know... Losses against West Ham, they were beating Watford and then conceded four goals in the last 10 minutes, um, most of them to Josh King. Uh, and then a loss to, to a Wolves side that are, are slightly you know, resurgent themselves. But Damari Gray's impressed me um, for Everton. I, th- I think they, you talk about a blueprint for, for beating Pep. Mm. I remember Newcastle did beat them uh, when sure. Rafa was, uh, was the manager. I think they maybe could. Um, Bold shout, can't follow you on it. Um, Everton, I think we're going to have to get uh, a Liverpool-based journal on to talk Mm. us through Everton because I just don't understand them. (laughs) I don't know what style of football they play. I don't know know, how good they are. It's so wildly inconsistent. And that Watford result really threw a spanner in the works of everybody's opinion of them. Uh, So maybe that was a fluke result, but I I don't think they're going to beat City. And last one, Tottenham leads Mm. United. Maybe it's maybe it's more out of hope than actual genuine prediction that I'm <laughs> I'm tipping Everton, but uh, Tottenham, oh, it's, Tottenham really frustrate me, and I think Conte coming in, it, it it might take a little bit more more time for him to to sort of put his stamp on things. Tottenham if, don't don't keep the ball very well. No, they can't pass. Yeah, and that's the, a problem. The the midfield I think has has really been been found out this season so far. I think. Oliver Skip, you know, he's, he's still young. He was, he's been highly rated at the club. Jose Mourinho, I remember, touted him as a, as a future captain. Uh, Pierre-Emil Hoybier had a good season last year, and I really liked him at um, uh, at Southampton. But those those two and, you know, Dele Alli's trying to have some sort of resurgence. Sure. It's just not working. I, I don't really like it, uh, to be honest. But Leeds, I mean, if they were in better form, I'd, I'd probably have tipped Leeds um, to, to win this. But they've started the season... Uh, quite poorly, so I'm going to go with a draw. I have it down as a draw as well, mm. and uh, I think Conte is going to keep it tight and uh, play the, uh, I guess, the sort of leaders in the dressing room in the first few games, the big personalities who yep. stand out to him. And then as he gets more of a handle on the squad, I think we'll see some changes in midfield. I want Ndombele to play every available minute, but is he a Conte player? I'm not sure. Mm. Depends on what formation they pick. If they go 3-4-3... Three, He's simply not um, 
I don't think he's going to play in an inside forward role and he can't survive in a double pivot like that. If they play 3-5-2 uh, with a midfield, um, which gives him a bit more protection, mm. then Ndombele could play the Paul Pogba role for, that uh, he played at Juventus so so well at the sort of left side of the of the three-man midfield uh, with a box-to-box player and, and a number six behind him. That could be the perfect spot for a guy who was a very expensive transfer, has a lot of ability, but has never truly been trusted by any Tottenham manager. Uh, so um, I, I hope he plays. I hope Tottenham finds uh, some midfielders who can uh, pass it to their teammate and not to the opposition. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, Conte is fresh into the job and I don't think he's going to find the formula just yet. So draw for me. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, an intriguing battle, Bielsa versus Conte, and it leads the, the very high-tempo Conte probably. Gee, the, there's some the uh, marquee managers there in this are, league this season. Are, it's uh, unbelievable. It's, uh, I mean, even, even and when... And then there's only got a If Even when Conte was at Chelsea, you know, for, for quite a few years now, there have been some some real top-class coaches in the Premier League. But we'll leave it there on this first episode of... So, I'd say call it a pilot episode. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have some uh, overseas contributors over yes, the course we of the we, we, we must. We'll, We've uh, intentionally gone late at night to get the time difference to the UK so that we can chat to the, the journalists and the personalities from over in the UK and get some real our local expertise yep. to add to our, uh, you know, because we watch in the middle of the night. Sometimes uh, we can't see straight. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's helpful to, to get that uh, that local knowledge. But that's For the plan sure. going forward. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a fantastic first episode. Look forward to... Yeah, speaking to some uh, some interesting people in the coming weeks, having a, a little bit more structure. Hopefully, we we get a nice uh, little show intro as well done. For, oh yeah, we'll, for we'll the have next some commentary. Episode. There's plenty to choose from so for the sizzle rail. Absolutely, for the there, there better there? be some Peter Drury commentating <laughs> over Mo Salah in there. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I've been Nick Hughes. He's been Josh Parrish. We'll see you again for the EPL show next week.